How are you now? How are you, Bernie? I'm great, thanks. It's good to have you. Thanks. Ross Hammer woman. Second, second Rossi on the podcast. So the I don't know. It's a bad trend I'm getting into. Getting the quality. I don't know. About that. <laughs> you were just asking me about setup. I have nothing set up because I am just here to learn. That's practically it. Because usually I'd have questions and I'd have like research done. But the thing is, I don't know much about it, and that's why I wanted to get you on because I wanted to learn. So I'm here. I'm practically getting you to do a talk for me. So what do you know, or do you know anything? Very little. Okay. That's yourself and your daughter. Uh, was it a kidney? Kidney, yeah. That's it. That's all I know. You donated a kidney, and I want to know the whole process. Oh, long story. Yeah, that's what long we're Long story. So I suppose to start off the very beginning, um, I'm married to Ian, as you know, okay. and um, we have an older daughter, Lauren. And when Lauren was two, Rebecca was born. So Rebecca was born in 2003, both girls born healthy, happy, everything was good. And uh, she was two and Lauren was four, which just started school in Granahan. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, my own spot. Um, and Rebecca had a bit of a chest infection and so had Lauren. So they were on... Um, little cough bottle and uh, doing all right you know the usual kids stuff yeah and uh, the Friday afternoon my my mum and dad were looking after the kids and I picked them up after I was working here I was teaching here and um, he said oh she's a bit off Rebecca's a bit off and I was like grand your dad is it dad said yeah so I said grand next morning got up it was my birthday and uh, we were to go. We were to go out for dinner this afternoon, and I was like, "Oh, I don't know." We went to swim swimming lessons with Lauren. She was four, doing all that jazz, and Rebecca wasn't in great form. But anyway, they persuaded me to go out. That I need to go out for dinner, and uh, we got a phone call from babysitter saying Rebecca was off form and went to bed very tired. We were delighted she'd gone to bed. And thought she's two. Two, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. It's her two. Yeah. yeah, she wasn't saying much at that time anyway, but yeah. um, she went to bed and slept the night. I was delighted. Uh, checked on her. And it came to nine o'clock and ten o'clock, and there was no sign of waking. And by eleven o'clock, I started trying to waken her because this is not a two year old. And uh, she was very lethargic, could hardly wake her up. And she had soiled herself uh, with, with an explosion, which they call them Poonanis now or whatever. <laughs> but, that, but at the time, it was just horrendous. So from the, the back of her neck, really, to her socks, she was covered in poo yeah. with blood through it. Oh, shit. So, oh, shit, yeah. Panic uh, sessions. Your heart goes sideways. Uh, rang the West Dock, left Lauren with the granny, and uh, headed off to Ballyhonas where the doctor met us. And he said, um, You need to go straight to Casper. She needs to go on a drip. Um, she was still lethargic, but when a, when a kid's lethargic when they're two, it's yeah. a sign of something serious. We didn't know at the time what it was. Uh, when we got to Castlebar, you know the way Castlebar Hospital, oh, you're like, oh, jeez, I've been waiting there for three days and three nights and I won't see anyone. Uh, two nurses met us at the door and we went straight into a room and she had her blood taken immediately. Did they know you were coming? They knew we were coming, but we didn't realise that. Yeah. Um, probably better off. Probably, yeah. probably better off. Um, we were put into isolation with her. And I said... Would she be here long? And they were like, oh, she'll be here for a few hours. She might need to drop. We need to run some tests. So I was like, oh, I've worked tomorrow. You know the way you're like. Mm-hmm. Oblivious. Thing. Yeah. And uh, anyway, as the night wore on, I, I knew we weren't going to be going anywhere for the night. She, um, the nurses were, this is before, obviously, this is 2005. The nurses were masked coming into the room and putting on gowns and, and gloves. And I was um, told not to leave the room, so we were, we were in total isolation there. And um, I had to weigh her nappies, her, her 
blood kept coming through and she was diarrhea a lot, a lot. So they wanted me to wait to see how much fluid she was losing, I suppose, and to balance her fluids. I know now because I know all about that stuff now, but um, she she was there overnight and in the morning I didn't see much improvement. The doctor came round and was asking me what I thought and I said she's she's so not herself, she had her head on the pillow, wouldn't even look up at the Teletubbies or one of them things. And Did they give you any indication of what it could be? No, they didn't. no just diarrhoea and it's contagious, that was it. Right. Um, now I don't know if they knew themselves. I don't know. Mm, yeah. Um, and a nurse had gone off duty uh, the evening before, and when she came back on, she said, "What do you think yourself?" She was really sound. I don't know her name, and I said, "She's gone down a lot." And she goes, "Is nothing being? Is nothing moving on?" And I said, "No." And she goes, "I can't tell you." But if I were you, I'd get the doctor back. Right. So I said, I want the doctor back. The doctor came back and he said, you called me back. And I said, she's not improving, she's getting worse, she's getting worse. Um, and he said, okay, I'm going to ring someone, I'll be back to you. And I was there on my own, I was like, what's going on, what's going on? And Ian rang, he's coming over after work, from, he works in Ballygonis. And um, the doctor came back and he goes, I was talking to doctors in Dublin and then my heart went down yeah, you well, know about Dublin yeah. when you've Dublin involved in health you know what's I know that's the worry it's, part, isn't it it's it's not it's not what you want to think about exactly. but it is the place you want to go because you're yeah, getting the best health good and bad and you have the people that have the experience so I said we're going to have to send you an ambulance to Dublin and she's going to go to Temple Street. And I was like, I've never heard of that word. What mm. is that? It's a children's hospital. Um, Still no indication? No, nothing. Um, I said, I don't, I don't want her to go in ambulance. Can we drive her? Because we were waiting for an ambulance. And they were like, no, because she's a patient now. Um, he was told he could follow the ambulance up. And the ambulance driver turned to me when we were settled in the ambulance. And he said... Um, I have to ask you this question now, but it's completely up to you. Do you want blue lights and sirens, or will it frighten the child? And I said, well, do we need to get there that quickly? And he said, we do, but if it's going to cause stress. And I was like, she, she, she didn't know. Anyway, we blue lighted to, to Temple Street. I hadn't a clue where it was, just in Dublin. Got there at half two in the morning, and... Uh, she was taken out of the ambulance and I was told, wait there, you can't go with her. I couldn't go with her. So I had to let her go into this building. I didn't know where it were. She was really, like, really half sleeping and out and drowsy. And, um, I w- she went into the hospital and I walked in with the nurse. Then she brought me up this staircase and it was like a crumbling old staircase. And there was little animal pictures on the wall that would fade. And I was like, Christ, where's this place? And, this does not look good. Like, it's not a quality place to be going into. And uh, she opened the doors to a ward. And the only way I can describe the ward is, it's like stepping into the Starship Enterprise with light, proper lights and you could hear machines going. But it was clean, it was brand new, it was new walls, new windows, the doors, everything was spotless. It was so different than the staircase had gone up. And uh, they brought me into the room where they had Rebecca settled in a, an isolation cubicle. And, um, and they asked, do we want to settle down for the night or get tea and toast and all that jazz, which is fantastic. And I said, yeah. And Ian came in. And uh, they said, a thief will be in in the morning. And I was like, What's, who's the thief? Who's the thief? No, they had double accent. <laughs> but uh, the top man for renal function I know now is called Dr. T for One. Right. He's a very humble man and everyone has to call him by his first name, Atif. So she said he'd be in at 7 o'clock in the morning, he's due in. And um, you, you can sit with Rebecca till then, she was half two. And I said, okay, so um, we were just sat in the bed beside her and didn't really know what to expect in the morning. Um, 
I went to the toilet and I saw a sign that said, this is in the ward, outside the toilet, it said transplant unit, never, never, transplant unit um, kindly uh, fundraised by the 1970s Dublin Gaelic football team. Learn about certainly and again. Oh, absolutely. And putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Very serious stuff where we were. Um, a chief was due in at seven, he came in at half five. This man that we had never met before, that became our saviour, I suppose. Um, and he just told us, he said, we think your daughter's got E. coli poison. You're conta- she's contagious, therefore we have to wear all this gear. You may have it. And the rest of your family, you all have to get tested. Um, but she's critically ill at the moment, so we need to assess her for dialysis. And I said, when, when would that be? And he said, in about half an hour. So uh, the way they treat uh, E. coli infection is they put the child on dialysis and it may kickstart the kidneys. What happened to her is her, her kidneys had failed quickly um, to fight the infection but the infection with E. coli can travel to other organs but the first organ it attacks is the kidney. So he, he said we won't talk about if it's travelled further, we'll deal with this at the moment. So um, she went down for the operation on the, it was Tuesday morning and um, she... So what? Sorry, just the timeline there. Yeah. When, oh, it was Friday night, was it? That no, you it was went Saturday out? night. Saturday night yeah. you went out and then this is Tuesday. My stop was on the Sunday and the Monday night, the Sunday night I stayed in Casabar and the Monday night, in, overnight we yeah, went to Dublin. And then Tuesday on surgery. Tuesday morning early she had a catheter fitted to her abdomen just below her belly button. And she was on what's called peritoneal dialysis. So that's where they fill the area around the organs and the tummy with fluid, a sugary fluid. It's left there and basically it does the function of the kidney. The, the sugary fluid goes into the water around her organs and draws out all the bad stuff that the kidneys would usually take away. Most of it. It's not, it's not perfect dialysis. It's not as good as kidneys. But it would help um, help her recover, he, he hoped. So she was there, she went on dialysis that day, stayed in that room. We were with her, we stayed with her. Um, the next day was the Wednesday and Atif was there all the time and he said, um, has she made any bowel mo- movements? And I said, not, not since she'd stopped the diarrhoea, because she'd stopped the diarrhoea. And has she... Has she made any flatulence? Had she been farting? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we said, we don't think so, but we listened. So he said, we'll see how she is over the next 24 hours uh, that way. So will you keep an ear out for it? She was still lethargic, laid flat on the bed, no picking up, no crying, nothing. Um, and she was just on her drips. Then at that stage, she, was, she had IV fluids and she had her dialysis going on. There was a lot of people coming in and out to her. Um, and then on the Thursday, he came back. Like That treatment was ongoing. He came in and he said, well, what's the story with the flatulence and the the bowel moving or anything? He was afraid that the E. coli had attacked the bowel, you see. And uh, uh, I said, there's nothing. So he said, I have to get a machine in here and... Um, I'm going to have to ask you and Ian to leave. So we hadn't left her side. There's always one of us with her. He said, two of you go and get a cup of coffee. You've been here since Tuesday morning and you haven't left this room together. So go down and get a cup of coffee and come back in an hour. So we said, OK. Because the room was very small, this little cubicle. It was about six by maybe 11 foot. Tiny, like, you know. Mm. And um, we went down, had the cup of tea, threw it into us because we weren't going to be long, you know. We would. Yeah. And when we came back up, we were just going up uh, the stairs, and I said to Ian, "Oh my God, I feel sick. I'm going to faint. I don't know." 
He said, go, we'll go down and we'll get some air. So we just walked straight down them stairs that I described earlier. Yeah. Stood at the door, I took three deep breaths and we walked back up the stairs. And when we went back up the stairs, there was alarms going in the ward and there was lights flashing everywhere, the really loud sound. There was something, something major had happened. And the nurses were rushing everywhere and the doctors. And someone came along and said to me, you go into that room there, which was the medicine room, which no one's allowed into. You go in there and sit in there. And I was like, is Rebecca okay? We're dealing with everything, it'll be fine. And we were in there for about, it felt like hours, but it wasn't. It was about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. So while Rebecca was having the assessment of the bow, which was like an x-ray, the nurse was changing her bed sheets and she was getting her moved back in. She actually arrested, so she stopped breathing, and the alarms were to get the crash cart in and to defibrillate her and uh, to stabilise her. And so they had to do that. They, they had, had to, to do that. Yeah. yeah, they had to do that there and then, and we couldn't go near. They kept us away because I didn't. When did we you figure out that that was the case? When they came in and told us everything was okay by then. No, no, she hadn't stabilised, but she had been intubated. Okay. So when you're intubated, as you know, and you're on the life support machine, if she stopped, she, the machine is breathing for her. So uh, at that point, he was afraid of, of the E. coli that it had gone everywhere, which it's harder to deal with when it's spread. And um, the syndrome that, that it turned into is called hemolytic uremic syndrome. HUS, so it's a rare kind of condition that can happen. And um, is that all from E. coli, or yeah. is it predisposed to it? Like no, it's all from, all from E. coli. coli. Yeah. And um, she was transferred to ICU, and he said, "I have to tell you now about the other times." He had said in the beginning, when he, you know that you have dialysis, the child will recover, and maybe in years to come they may need um, to be checked on their kidney function. But that's way down the line, and she'd be fine, you know. But he said, I'll talk to you if I need to about the other stuff. So now is the time he had to talk to us. So he said, this has only happened to me with patients four other times. And three of them needed a kidney transplant after it. And I said, what about the fourth one? And he said, I can't talk about that. So we know what that was. So um, he said, we'll take it day by day and we'll see. So that was uh, the Thursday night. And uh, I I sent one of them horrible texts that you sent to, to everyone. Please, please light a candle for Rebecca because we don't know what's going to happen. And I suppose it probably shocked a lot of people. By, but you, try, that's, you can't really do anything else. 100%. At that time, a lot of people become very faithful, don't they? Yeah. That you might not think you were. Maybe you were, maybe you weren't. But at that time, a lot of people... The, well, it's just... That it's up to luck. They yeah. like to get luck on their side, you know? You can't do anything else but just wish people's goodwill, you know? And and whatever your faith is, in whatever way it progresses, everyone needs people and everyone needs the blanket around them. The How is that? That's, so you're practically nearly a week into it. What's that first week like? Are like, you sleeping much at all? No. So you're on the... There was a chair. We did get a... Bla- uh, we got a blanket. But you get a little roll, a very thin mattress that you'd go on. And the the nurses would put us into one of the available beds or a couch in the waiting room. That's how you'd sleep. You know, all the blur, I'd say. Yeah. The shower was good to get a shower. Like There was parents' accommodation, but it was full up. Um, but when she I went suppose at the same time you didn't want to be away from her either. No, no. You know, you wouldn't sleep. care sleeping on a chair. No, no, you don't. And you're in you're in the zone and um um she when the, the Thursday night happened then they, they do have a parents' room, you know, and obviously we had people coming and talk to us to try and settle us because they didn't Makes need any of us getting, you know, overwhelmed or sick or fainting or anything, you know. Um, but he said that night when when she got really bad, he said I have to I have to scan her brain because I have to see if it's gone to her brain. And I was like, how how do you where do you do that? How do you do that? He said, we don't actually have a machine here in the hospital to do it. 
and it was 2005, which is mental stuff. So um, he said, I have to bring her across the road. Do you know where Temple Street is? No. Do you know Dorset Street when you're yes, going up yeah. to Croker? Yeah. So the Masher is on, you know, the red brick building in the Masher. So to go across to the Masher, across Dorset Street, you come from Temple Street. So it's literally, it's like going from the Hyde to Casey's, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, she'd go in an ambulance in the morning and I said, can I go with her? No, I'll go with her. Um, And he said, you can't stay with her all the time in ICU because there's very, the sickest children in the country are in here. And that night there was no other child in there, so we could stay with her a good a good while. Um, but he said, you need to get your rest and get up. Sure, we didn't rest, but... You don't want this the last thing in your mind? No, and he was bringing her out at 7 o'clock in the morning in an ambulance, and he said, as soon as I know, I'll let you know. And um, we were sitting at the top of the stairs waiting for them to come back in the morning. And... Um, he he came he he ran in the door of the hospital. We saw him running in the door of the hospital, shaking his arms in the air. Brain is fine. Brain is fine. He's delighted. And had he um, indicated that any other part was good or bad? No. So he, so this he, is he just dealing talk with about kidneys and then then brain. Okay. Yeah, because obviously you can. He he's the renal specialist. Um. And if your brain is attacked, it's a you know, it's very different. Yeah. Um, but because that was clear, it was great. So she stayed in ICU on the life support for two weeks and um, they, they wanted to try and wean her off it. But um, the PD catheter in her diet, she was on dialysis all the time, the PD catheter that was in her stomach, um, she got an infection and they had to take it out. So she had to go in and have surgery again. There's two different types of dialysis. There's PD, which is through the tummy, and that's, you'd see people with home dialysis, that's what's the first home dialysis. So she had to go go and get an operation where she got two tubes stuck into her neck. So it's where they take the blood out of the body and put it around the machine, called hemodialysis. So she was on that, which is severe as well, you know, and she was only two. That's it. She's only you two. Forget Tiny. That in the story like this. She's, she, she's only a baby. So when she was there in ICU, ICU was a horrible place to be. But again, you try and do. I remember I know the gruffalo off by heart, and I know the cat in the hat off by heart, and I still do because of those days there. I read her stories. She had a doll called Joseph, a little baby doll, and and Joseph was with her all the time. And her sister Lauren, my mum and my dad used to bring her up um, every couple of days to see us, but it was really hard to let her go again. But she'd come in and be chatting. Chat, you know, a four-year-old wouldn't really get the gravity and um, it was good to have a bit of normal noise around. It's good to have someone that young because they're so oblivious to it. Oh, they're, probably, yeah. they're, they're positive, like. Absolutely. And they're not coming in, they're shell-shocked. And kind of bringing a bit of normality back to their life you know yeah and it's not um when you're in hospital and you're the mother of a sick child you're called mom all the time whereas if it's your child calling your mom that's the person that should be but um she's yeah she she was there for two weeks and they tried to extubate her a couple of times and let her get her to breathe on her own but it didn't work so they had to go back in again but she did she she came out with that good but the next hurdle then was to see if there was any kidney function left. So you can live with the very impaired kidney function. Um, and Atif wanted to do a biopsy on her, which meant another operation after she had recovered from being in ICU. So it meant being in the hospital for another couple of weeks to get the biopsy done, get the results from that and make a plan going forward because she had really stabilised and the infection had gone from her. And by the way, none of us got E. coli, yeah. even though we were all tested as well. Um, and um, we went back to the ward, and it was a step, as, as the play therapist, she had a great play therapist, Olive, said, it's, it's a step towards going home, step back to the ward, you know, the little steps to get out of hospital. Um, the only thing is now when Rebecca went back to the ward, she was petrified of everybody and anybody and screamed all the time um, because she had all this stuff done to her. So she couldn't even get her blood pressure checked. She, 
the nurses couldn't come near her. She did let a thief near her. A thief stayed with her that night in the hospital when we when she arrested that night. He stayed the whole night with her. He brought her to the masher. He stayed the whole the whole time. He did three week old baby at home himself. He stayed with us all the time. He was unbelievable. And uh, Anyway, she, she had the biopsy and she had 25% renal function. So he said the plan would be that we get her strong enough to get home. She'd lost. Is that 25% of the one of the two overall? 25% overall? Overall. Yeah. Both of her kidneys were damaged. Oh, right, yeah. okay. So, um, and he had to check that as well. Um, so the plan was to try and stabilise her and get her home and see could she come off dialysis and maybe get her to a point uh, where she'd be able for to go and have a transplant. We knew at that stage she'd need a transplant. Um, they don't transplant kids, well they didn't then, uh, under 12 kilos. So um, she was only eight and a half kilos, she was tiny like. So we had a couple of building up time with her. Now, if you're on a renal diet, which she was on, and she was on a lot of medication, um, it's very hard to build yourself up because, you know, you need your protein. She was on a protein-restricted diet and she was on a high-calorie diet, so she was eating... She had no taste for anything because she had... She was in for kidney failure and it takes your taste away. And She was kind of living on noodles, plain noodles. Why was she in a protein uh, restricted diet? Because uh, you need your kidneys to, oh, to break down yeah. the protein. Okay. And the dialysis isn't that efficient, but she had come off the dialysis at that stage. Um, but what Atif wanted was, the best thing for a renal patient like that is, is not to go back on dialysis at all, is to give like a window of opportunity where she'd go into a lesser kidney function, less than 25%, but be well enough and strong enough for a transplant. And then you get the most out of that new kidney for her. So that's what was always in our mind. So the job was to keep her well, to feed her up and get her able to be able to cope with being in hospital and around people. Yeah, she couldn't cope with anyone biggest, at this yeah. stage. She couldn't cope at all. So she, that was huge, and she had an NG tube, which is very nasty to see on anyone but on a little kid. And uh, she, hadn't, she hadn't any words. So her way of showing her frustration was ripping out her NG tube. So we did, we got home. We went in on, I think it was the 11th of September, and we got home on the 2nd of November. Went to Westock on the 11th. Sorry, the 11th of? September. And you came home on? 2nd of November. Jesus. Yeah. Just like that. You know, it, yeah. there was no, it's not like you saw this coming or anything. No. You know? No. Mad. Now, the other thing is, and anyone that has anyone in hospital, you look at other people when you're in the hospital. So there was another child in a room across from Rebecca, and she was from Cork. Her name was Mary, and she had been in hospital for six months. So however bad we were feeling, we were thinking, hey... That's the only way you can think in them situations, It's the way you it? cope, yeah, yeah. You cope by saying there's always somebody worse than there is always Like when you worse. said, oh, thank God, there's no brain damage. Yeah. You know, like, when you think about it, you're still, you, you still have kidney damage, but you're just so delighted it's not worse. Exactly. You know, like, how could, you would think at that stage, how could someone be, have, be positive? It's the only way you can yeah. be. Yeah, it is. And, and to be fair... We probably kept each other positive. Now, we did have family calling up and, you know, meeting us, like Mum and Dad were coming up in Sinead, and um, anyone around us in Dublin was coming and meeting us for that vital cup of tea that you need. You yeah, know, when you're sitting there, it. because if we didn't have someone coming in, when I say going for a, a bite to eat, I'd be on my own with my thoughts or on the phone or, or absolutely no time to just cry or, yeah. or or give someone give you a hug or just try and process it yourself so you need to be strong mentally for what you're dealing with and there was a lot of learning for us there was a lot of learning about medicines about um, fluid balance and how to cope with her post-traumatic stress is really what she was going through 
So, um, which is crazy for a two-year-old, like never have to go through that. Yeah, and I, I remember we came home. We came home, and it was great. We were home, and uh, Tiff had said to us, "If you could get her to drink her fluid and take her tablets through her mouth and not through the NG tube, we could get rid of that because that was a source of a lot of stress for her." So How do you get that through to a non-communicating yeah, Like if yeah. they're seven, they can kind of process it and understand it? Oh, yeah. Well, the only way really is the way you kind of parent is bribery and corruption in the <laughs> end. <laughs> but, um, she came home, we came home on Thursday, it was a Thursday, and uh, oh, the next morning she was having a tantrum and she grabbed the tube and ripped it out. So I rang the hospital, which were in the hospital front, and they said, go to your local medical centre and they'll put it in and rang them. No, we don't do that. So ring Caspar, ring Caspar. No, we don't do that. Rang Dublin, no one will do it. Why is that? I don't know. We had to go back to Dublin to get the tube put in. Um, and we were told, if she's going to keep doing that, you're going to have to keep coming up. Or you learn how to do it yourself. So basically, you have a two-year-old that needs to be wrapped arms and legs in a blanket and struggling and fighting and crying and trying to stick a tube up there. And you're trying to get through this. You're trying to get them away from this trauma, but you, then you have to do that. It was it's just compiling. It was horrendous. That was, it's all horrendous, but that was one of the hardest things to do. And we both learned how to do it and it exhausted. It was exhausting mentally and physically. Um, but yeah, we got we did get through it, and she ended up being on that tube, feeding overnight, and her medicine for it was about a year and a half to two years. She was in play school at the time, and uh, uh, I did we did get bribery and corruption. Uh, that's a year she, and a half. That's just um, building up. That's that's your goal for that, you know, let's say... You see, we there. didn't know what the end date was where she would go into full failure and we didn't know... Um, we had said to him, for the kidney, for the lists and transplant lists and all this stuff, all new to us, so we asked him, who, where do we get the kidney? Well, we just test everyone, whoever's the best match. Is that the way it works? No, that's not the way it works. One person gets tested at a time and... They go through a series of tests, and it's like that. So you're starting again at the bottom every time something isn't right. So I said, well, you know, I'd like to do it. And Ian said, oh, I'd like to donate. And Atif is very, he's brilliant, but very blunt-like. And he said, you're far too obese. So that was the dagger through the heart. Guilt, mom, wrong, shouldn't be like this. Um... And I didn't consider myself really that way, yeah. but I, it was hard. And Ian said, well, look, you've had the kids. I can do this. So why can't I be the one? And don't, you know, be stressing about it. So it was decided at that time that he would be the one that get worked up. But he also couldn't get worked up until she had gone on the list. You know, this list, if someone has an unfortunate accident, and passes away prematurely that they donate their organs, cadaver donors they're called. Um, she has to be actively on that list for his workup to start. Do you understand me? Yeah. So again, it was for Ian to be right and work to that be okay even, about it. And yeah, you've gone through the process yet. No, told, and so it does take a long from. time, like, you know. Anyway, she did, the tube went with the corruption the bribery and corruption. I said I'd bring her to McDonald's. She didn't really like eating anything from McDonald's, but she liked getting the toy when everyone else was eating. So we were at home one day, and I said, I'll bring her to McDonald's if you just take these tablets. So she did, and I brought her to McDonald's. And the next day, I brought her to McDonald's, but yeah. I had to stop it then. Well, I'd say the first couple of times you were happy. Oh, I was freaking brilliant. So you look, at you learn all the tricks. I had a pile of stickers in, in the cupboard. She had to go and get injections every week. She hated them. I had... I used to go into Moran's all the time buying all the little toys they have in there and um, have a stock in the car for when I needed them. Yeah. But it was basically yeah. like that, no, and people were good. They used to give, you know, little bits and pieces and 
and people were kind as well and um so yeah she she progressed and and she she ended up doing really well and Ian was she she got, got to the stage where she she was the right weight so um she presented with another problem then she started getting pains in her tummy all the time and a teeth didn't really think it was to do with her kidneys so I checked her bowels out she went to hospital for a week couldn't find anything they were moving okay she she was in agony a lot she was what age is she at this she stage? was four at this stage and she talking away not much and so it's just very simple tummy sore kind of thing crying holding yeah. the tummy right. fetal position and her tummy was like if you remember those scenes and when you see malnourished babies just bulged out bulged out so no appetite nothing um, so she had a few hospital stays and and a hard Christmas one year and I just said team we'll have to bring her straight up tomorrow because I can't stick her being in pain anymore and they looked again and she actually had a partial blockage in her bowel um, and she was 12 kilos at that point ready for going on the list and getting worked up but they have to, everything else has to be right. So um, she had a partial blockage and... In a way, it's kind of not bad because you're thinking, well, if she's 12 kilos and she has a, a blockage, you know, she could even be a small bit healthier if the blockage wasn't there, you know? She yeah. put more weight on, no? Well, she actually had the bowel surgery, she had some of her bowel removed, okay. but the blockage that was in her weighed 2 kg. Okay. So she was in pain with that. And that heaviness in her for a long time, but she did recover from that surgery quite well. And um, I suppose that was in January, and then going round then till the it was December actually, because I know I'll tell you now in a minute. Uh, Ian, she went on. She went on the list. She was the right weight, and she was doing well. And we had a meeting in Temple Street with the surgeons and her team. And on the Monday, I, would it be the Monday? I don't know what day of the week it was, but it was an evening. And we were going to Beaumont the next day, so we stayed in Liffey Valley, as we do from the country. And uh, I was actually late on my period. So Gosh. I had to go over to Liffey, the Boots in uh, Liffey Valley and uh, get a pregnancy test. <laughs> in amongst all this. And I met my friend Anto, the art teacher here, and all our art students, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, as you do, you know the way, just in all the places, anyway, um, um, I found I was expecting Connor, that night, the night before she was going on the list, and it was the night Barack Obama was elected, those two, so you're good with the dates, she, I, the, well, things yeah, stay in your head, them, yeah. it was, anyway, it was a good news story, but I was going, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> you know, um, and then Ian uh, started his testing the next day. It was great. And Rebecca met her team in Beaumont again that had been in Temple Street. So they work really closely together. And uh, we met David Hickey. So do you know who he is? Yep. So he's Dublin, famous Dublin footballer from the 1970s, right. who uh, is a uh, renal surgeon. Okay. And he is the head of the renal in Beaumont so and he was the team of the 70s who had fundraised for that war oh, do you remember yeah, yeah, yeah so we met those and um, everything was far in head Ian had to do whatever tests love different tests you have to do and uh, everything was going nicely and Rebecca was doing well and Atif was delighted she was avoiding dialysis and a week before the transplant I'd taken off parental leave from school here. So he was all ready to go? Ready to go. Now they leave a couple of tests to the last minute. Okay. But he was ready to go and a week before the transplant he had gone up to have a dye put in to see which kidney they take left or right. Okay. And when they did that uh, they found that Ian had 27% kidney function on one side and 73 on the other so one kidney was doing loads of work and the other mm. one was one wasn't enough and they was a bit lazy much to take yeah well, so you think that they would have figured that out small bit earlier no or well it's just the way they do that's yeah. the way they do the tests um and i was 
at this point, this is a few months on, yeah. I was six and a half months, seven months pregnant with Connor. And uh, he, he rang me and he said, I need to come back because the tests didn't work out right. We didn't really know. So we'd go back the next week and uh, they tested him again. No, they, sorry, they didn't test him again. They said they wanted to test him again to bring me up. But it was really to tell us that they couldn't do the transplant and they wanted both of us to be there. And then one of the doctors said, no, we're going to do that test again just to be sure. So they did the test again and they said, sorry now, but you, you actually can't be in the room together because I was pregnant and whatever yeah, yeah. radioactive dye they use. Anyway. So they had to make a plan and I said, well, I'm having a cesarean section when I'm having Connor. I didn't know it was Connor at the time. Uh, could you not take a kidney out of me when you're taking the baby out? And one of the doctors went, jeez, that's an idea. And the other <laughs> one went, no, bloody way. <laughs> but no, they didn't do that. Um, we're, Ian was upset. We were upset, like, because Rebecca still so needed the transplant. Your hopes were high. So she was booked in to start dialysis in a few days. So we went up and uh, we were booked into Temple Street and she went back on the PD dialysis, the first one she was on, so she, we could do it at home. And we spent a month in hospital there learning it, but also because the doctor who approved the dialysis machine for our house was on leave in the west of Ireland and there was no one replacing them. So we ended up being in hospital two weeks longer than we should have. I was seven months pregnant. Oh. Lauren was at home. Uh, and it was hard. Sourcing hospitals Yeah, just... You get on with it, though. You don't get sick of it. You're yeah. grateful for... Uh, exactly, all the work they're doing. Louise, the receptionist in the yep. ward, who would bring me hot toast if she could at any time. Or the canteen ladies. They gave me a card one time. I just burst into tears. Yeah. Small thing, no? You get to know people as 100%. well. 100%. Yeah. The hospital is amazing. Yeah. And the people are unreal. Um, so... Rebecca went on dialysis. She was on dialysis at home overnight, 12 hours a night, uh, six nights a week. She was in, was she in junior infants? No, she was just about to start school. So she started school um, like that with the tube in her tummy. So a tube, you know, it was about uh, a ruler long coming out of her tummy. So that'd have to be bandaged up in the day when she was going about. And we'd have to give her medicine and check everything. Uh, how was she in her mood now going to school? Was Not she great. Excited about school oh, she or? was a, she was excited enough, but she would be up and down. She'd be very tired, and she was still very wary of people. Right. And um, she had an SNA in play school, and she had an SNA in school, and we had to manage that transition really well. The school did, and 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 the play school did, and. Um, she, you know, she, she didn't really come on so well compared to where she was. The thing she hated getting done was the bloods. So there'd have to be at least two adults with her to get the bloods done because we'd have to hold her down and it was horrendous. But it had to be done. Yeah. Um, but she, she understood more what was going on. And Definitely, yeah. I had Connor, which was nice, yeah. in June. And uh, Rebecca was on dialysis and... Uh, I had Connor in Dublin actually so we kept his stem cells when he was born they wouldn't do it down in Mayo and she could be on dialysis the night before because I'd stay in hospital for a few days so she went um, she did alright for the first couple of days and I came home with Connor and then her tube fell out which is a huge crisis so Ian had to Zoom up to Dublin with Rebecca again. My sister Sinead went up with them and stayed with them because I couldn't, because I had Connor and I just had a section. And that was another stress. Um, even I remember a couple of the women from Miss Mooney. Do you remember Miss Mooney? Mm-hmm. And Miss Mulroy, they come over, helped me out at home, and just people were really good, you know. You remember small things. I do, yeah. And um, anyway, moving on, I said I want ready to donate now I've had the baby and they were like no you can't you can't even be tested for six months and you have to lose weight the weight thing again so I was like right I will so Rebecca came back and uh, they came home and she was back on dialysis and uh, Connor was the baby and Lauren was running around and 
sure we're having life was busy for everyone it was busy busy and dialysis did it seem small but normal at that time not really because we're doing dialysis every night so dialysis every night is you've to scrub the room completely and you have to have your supplies in they have to be off the floor and you have to get rid of them in a safe way and uh you have to make sure she's not getting infection if there's infection in dialysis you have to bring sligo and loads of other bumps in the road shall we say but we had good people around us and it helped um and we um we were planning for getting me right for the six months so i started walking every day i used to walk four miles in the morning i used to get in the car go over to the mcwilliam i used to swim 100 lengths come home do the you know stuff you have to do run the house get ready for dialysis go to the dinner you know on and on and i did that and i went for my tests and they were like you need to lose weight and i was like how much weight did you lose enough i don't know i'd lost in my own head i'd done all i could at the time yeah um i'd say i lost two stone at that stage and i had a lot going on you know exactly and i'm an emotional eater which a lot of people are really but that's the label that it is, you know. Understandable at the time. So, um, yeah, I I said, well, fuck ye, anyway. So they said, come back in six weeks. So I kept walking, kept swimming, and I started doing uh, kickboxing exercises at home as well to up it a bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went back and I'd lost another stone then. And um, they started doing the tests. So I started doing the tests. Tests were going well, got them all done, got through them, and uh, Rex was still on dialysis. And we got a date for the 27th of July 2010. So that's five years on. Five from, years yeah. Now. She was five. And she was on, she was on dialysis. I might have missed up my dates there somewhere, yeah. but she was on dialysis at home for 16 months. Um, and we got that date and actually I missed my friend's wedding because that was on three days before the transplant and I I would have loved to because it was my friend and it was Ian's friend her husband was Ian's friend he played football with them she was my friend she worked here as a teacher and she was my neighbour from home and I played football with her in Glavies and uh, we went out to see them before their wedding and, and the transplant and both lovely people and and Grogan is her mm. name, That's and Karen, and uh, anyway, um, so they, their their wedding anniversary is etched in my mind yeah. as much as it is for their family. Um, so we went up for the transplant. We went up a couple of days beforehand. Had they, they had done the the dye test already, and they they'd done everything at and this what, stage. What percentage did you get? Oh, 50 50. 50, 50. Uh, specimen, fine specimen. <laughs> <laughs> they were only looking at the outside. <laughs> no, I was fine. I'd, everything came out fine. Even my Super. psychological assessment, I came back as saying, Jesus. So you have to go through that as well, which was. A lot of people like taking the mickey about that kind of thing, but that's okay, that's fair <laughs> enough. I've seen it some nights in the park. <laughs> I and uh, yeah, um, yeah. The the last thing I suppose I had to do before the transplant was uh, to leave Rebecca in Temple Street and go to Beaumont because both of us are in different hospitals. So because she's a child, obviously, and she was five, she was in a paediatric hospital, and I have to go to the adult hospital. Another thing that back when it all started, you would have thought you were in the same room or something, yeah. like a movie or whatever, but yeah. no, it didn't work like that. So the night before the transplant, I had to go in and say goodbye to her. And it was, you do, like, you know it's going to be all right, but there's a little thing there going. Well, at the end of the day, you don't really know. Like, do you know what I mean? So I was, Lauren was with me and my sister was with me and Ian stayed with Rebecca. And my mum stayed with Ian because I know you need someone there when you're in the hospital. Definitely. And uh, his, Ian, Ian used to play football and he's very involved in football. And one of his football friends came up and stayed with him as well. And uh, that was good because he needed to talk 
that stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. Get the mind off. Of course. It. But we went off up the road up Dorset Street again from Temple Street up to Beaumont and I took on the Black Eyed Peas and blasted that, got singing and because I didn't want Lauren to see me upset and bombed up the road to, sorry, drove really carefully up the road yeah. to Beaumont and uh, got into my bed and uh, another local person who worked as a doctor, was training as a surgeon at the time, Mark McCafferty, popped his head in around the door to see were they okay that night and I was doing good, yeah. So the surgery was on in the morning, Rebecca went down first and I went down second. So they came and told me when she had gone down for her surgery that I'd be going down and everything was okay. So I was as happy as Larry because I wasn't sitting there worrying. I don't know if I would have been able to cope the way Ian had to sit outside and yeah. worry about two people. I just had to go to bloody sleep. You did your job. Yeah, so um, it was good. Yeah, I went to sleep. I woke up and I was very sore. Like, as in, my mouth was sore. It wasn't, my body wasn't right. sore. I was just dry from, from being on, on the ventilator. And you know the way your mouth, your throat should be sore. And I, my dad was with me. My dad put on the telly for me and there was a programme on about organ donation. Oh, yeah. And one of the kids that we knew from Temple Street Ronan, his story was on it. It was so bizarre. That's but I remember watching that. And uh, Rebecca did really well. So before the transplant, she was weighing about 400 mils a day. The day after the transplant, she weighed 22 litres. Holy shit. 22 litres? Litres. That's mental. Yeah. So why is the... What, did they tell you the probability of of it, let's say, taking her body, taking it positively? Was this guaranteed? No, it's not guaranteed. Is this... No. It's, there's a risk of immediate rejection. I thought so. And the body goes into rejection straight away and it's at a different speed for, for everyone and there's no guarantee. And so if that, if that happens, you're without a kidney and she hasn't got a transplant? Yeah. And that's it? Well, she had a transplant. I suppose we gave it a chance. Yeah. So yeah. the way we always looked at everything was uh, if she gets the kidney, she was on the active list. Mm-hmm. If she had got the call... We would have gone with that. Mm-hmm. But whatever was the best for her would come first. Ian's didn't work out, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the best for her. Do you know what I mean? If they hadn't done that test and the kidney wasn't good enough for her or him, and he could be end, end up sick. So you kind of have to have faith that whatever's best will come the process first. That they're yeah, going trust the doctors exactly, as well. Exactly, yeah, and, that they're doing it for a reason. Absolutely yeah. trust the teeth 100%. And... Um, my own doctors as well were, were, were brilliant and they're independent of hers because otherwise there's a conflict of interest and I could have pulled out of it any time I wanted. That was never in her head, I'd say. No. Yeah. But you can, like you're told yeah. that all the way through and um, um, yeah, the, the, the operation was success about six hours under that I was cut from my belly button or around my side, so like a quarter. Whoa of a quarter there it's like a big smile going up inside that it's going away it's went and uh, came home came out on the Friday the operation was on Tuesday came out on the Friday to the renal house a support house in Beaumont do you know what there and uh, I got in a taxi didn't I and I went over to Temple Street to see Rebecca but I was in a wheelchair I couldn't walk oh, yeah. and I ended up with exhaustion and that but uh, Ian was involved with Roscommon. He was he was in the backroom team at that time. They were playing Cork in the All Ireland quarter final two days after I got out of hospital, and I got of course tickets came to us, but uh, I got a call from one of the managers to say uh, it's not good for the team if you think about going to that match. Yeah, we don't need your guts spinning out all around Cork Park. Yeah, and you'll only be distracted. That's all right. So I won't go. So I didn't go. So Connor had his first trip. He was only one to Co Park with my dad to see Cork and Scotland. Yeah, and we watched it on telly and should have got better. But anyway, <laughs> no surprise there. Actually, before the the transplant, we got a lovely card signed by all the players and a big teddy for Rebecca. And you know things like that. Lovely, Definitely. lovely, lovely. 100%. So um, and it was good for Ian to have that too, is because it's a distraction. You're you're either you know. 
your head goes soft thinking of all the stressful stuff. Um, not that he doesn't get stressed about football. Exactly, but it's a different. But it's different, yeah, and it is good. It's good. It's the stress he wants. He chooses. So yeah, so Rebecca did really well. She did really well. Her her blood levels were brilliant, and the kidney is doing super. So uh, like the next six months after that, what's it like for her? Uh, oh, like how quickly does she come back to her normal self? <laughs> well, when she woke up from the actual transplant, say immediately afterwards, you remember I was saying she had no taste or anything. So the play therapist Olive said to her, what would you like to eat? We'll treat you to anything. And most kids say McDonald's, right? Rebecca says, uh, I'll have sushi, please. Sushi? Yeah. Has she ever had sushi before? Never. She was six. Uh, so she said, we can't get sushi. What else do you want? Sardines. She wanted sardines. She used to watch a film called Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Oh, yeah. you know so she started eating sardines like they were crisps. Um, but she did, she came around really well. She had to go to Dublin three times a week to get her bloods checked, but that was fine, we managed that. Um, she just, she got stronger and stronger and grew. She came back, she came home from the transplant on her seventh birthday. Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, sedate enough, but. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she did really well. Six months later, she was up on the stage for the Nutcracker doing her ballet and. Doing oh. a piano and at school, at school they had a big um, party for all the neighbours, organised a, a celebration for a, a, in the community centre and it was nice, it was nice for her. Mm. And um, I suppose during all this as well, we used to do organ donation promotion as well, it's another thing we did. So that kind of got busy as well, that into things, which was good too because it's a positive story and people need to talk about these things. You know? 100%. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they're they're bringing in uh, legislation that everyone is automatically an organ donor until they say they're not. Yeah, so it's opt in. Yeah, yeah, and they were talking about it back then, but the the other side of it was, had they the facilities to do that? But they say they have now, so it's good. It is good. And so, um, she is fully mm. functional as a normal person. Oh, she's nineteen. Yeah, 19. she's living in Galway. In college. <laughs> Yeah, she's in GTI doing TV, film and media. Whoa. And I suppose the story like that changed your perspective on, on everything, doesn't it? It does, it does. Um, the other thing is, you, you kind of have a TikTok in your head as well, that the average kidney donor, uh, like living related donor, lasts 12 years. Okay. So we've passed that, so that's great. Yeah. But you still have that niggle in, I have the niggle. You so know? Uh, there's a chance that it could fail. So she, you go straight into rejection and you're on anti-rejection therapy tablets every 12 hours. That's, that's if this happens, this rejection? No, no, this is since the transplant. So oh, she's on a high immunosuppression since 2010 and steroids. So uh, she did have one episode where, she, where it went into rejection and that was 2012 we were going to the Olympics in London, oh, yeah. and it was around that time. So they put her on a high course of steroids and changed her meds. And, she's been and she got through it, yeah, she she rallied around. Um, but that was the only kind of risky time. You said that 12 years is, if it reject, it's more likely to reject in them 12 years, and after that it's... it's likely to go up, 12 years is the length, the average length it lasts. Now some people here in Ireland, mm have kidney transplants for over 30 years. So what happens then? You're back to... You, you, she will need another kidney? She no? might not. Hope she fingers might not. crossed yeah, she yeah, won't. Yeah. And it depends on lots of things, and luck is one of them. Um, and the meds and the, the, the care and medical science has moved on. Yes. Um, but she may, yeah, she may in time, yeah. Yeah, but you're aware of it, so she takes her meds every 12 hours. Exactly. She so can't eat an hour before, an hour after. Okay. And when you're 19, Stephen, do you remember when you were 19? What we were doing around 9 o'clock at night. That was my question. Um, <laughs> She's just brilliant. She, she manages She can't drink that. alcohol, can't she? She can if she wants, but she... She has to be very... takes or leaves it. Particular about yeah. it, say, well, times. Well, she's had a few... Yeah? <laughs> but she's she's sensible, like, she's, she's always had a mature outlook. She's always wanted to manage her own medicines since she was quite young. I'd say oh. 12, like, yeah... She's she's done she's done remarkably well. 
she's spoken on TV and radio. She's very open about it and she's very, I suppose, pragmatic about it as well, you know. Um, she's, yeah, she's, she's a great kid. Well, she's not a kid anymore. Yeah, she'll always be young, yeah. I suppose. Um, how much of it does she remember and how, is that, like, how does that affect her? Uh, she, it's not, she doesn't remember that acute phase that, uh. that, that traumatised her uh, as much now. It's, it's just the general hospitalisation and, and the people. So um, she's moved obviously to adult services now and she's moved from Beaumont to Galway and she goes on her own now. I don't go with her, like she's completely independent. So I think in one way it's given her strength mm. and um, she's very determined um, and she's very mature for age. Like she doesn't tolerate bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and she'd say it very like quickly. Well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's good. Yeah, she's a great kid. Yeah. Super sure. Yeah. That's yeah. Is it just the shoulders, Connor and Lauren? Connor, Lauren and Rebecca, yeah. Three, Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. Three fine kids. Three fine kids. Well, I know Connor. Connor is lovely. Yeah, thanks. That's mad. Yeah, so... Um, do, does... You never want to go through them, them, them things, but do you think, like, it is made you stronger for the better in the long term? Uh, the fa- I'm not the fan. Like, you'd wish that it never happened because you wish you she had a, a normal childhood. But at the same time, like, if you think you can get through that, then, like, that's a, it's not just a, a year, it's five, six years of consistent... Yeah. Well, you you kind of I suppose like every person, until something happens, you don't really know what your metal is, you know. <clears throat> um, and I do know that if you don't have good people around you, you won't get through things. Yeah. And you have to mind your relationships and mind your friends, mind your family. Uh, you feel like you know killing them at times, but you do mind them and and. They're the ones that get you through it. Um, people are good as well. People are really good. I mean, this school here is... God, they must have raised 20,000. It's oh. not the school, it's the parents. Yeah. Well, it is the teachers as well, but it, the parents and the... People are just really good. And that sustains you when you're having a crap day, you know, or when you're feeling a bit low. But you never kind of go... I suppose the last few years I might have gone, how did we get the energy to get through it? Yeah. Um, when you're in it, you don't think. You just keep swimming. Yeah. Just keep swimming. And it's mad because you're. I feel feel that you're an unbelievably positive person. So maybe that has, you know, an effect on it. We always like that, or is maybe. that just kind of giving? No, a I was always really positive. I was. Yeah, I was always very much enjoy life and, uh, you know, grab it with two hands. That's all you can do. Yeah. So I don't know. I know. Look at things happen and like. You're up and down since different things happen and um, people like to talk about it and I'm happy talking about it. Some yeah. people go through things and they are not able to talk about their challenge and it's difficult when other people expect them to, so you have to be respectful of that. Um, but people, because it's a positive story yeah. and it's good. You, you know, know that it's going to give some benefit. Yeah, and I know we've lost friends and relations and they've become organ donors and for them to be able to ask certain questions of us you feel honoured I mean I feel that I'm lucky I'm lucky I could help her Mm. but I didn't really do anything only go to sleep you know what I mean which is really what you know you had to you had to work and lose weight and get in the mindset like that's not easy that's like no a, but a challenge for yourself that you overcame so it's yeah but you'll do it like you know you'll yeah do you it. probably don't think about you it. Do you it. Just, you have to do it yeah. is that what you, your mindset was though like, your, want, want your mindset is that you are i mean you go to crumlin or temple street and you find a, a parent and they're all they want their child to be better and they do anything not just a parent an aunt or an uncle or We've had friends say they'd, in, the, in that process, that they, they would have offered, and it's mind-blowing. People are unreal. But I still get blown away when I hear someone else's donated kidney. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what I, I mean? Know, yeah. And um, just you expect, you, 
yeah and it's like it's it's a great thing to be able to do really you know you know and not as you said not an easy thing to talk about for some people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable that's that's what you're doing you're talking yeah. about it yeah. um, and I just thank you so much for coming and talking to me because I don't know every time you talk about it you have to relive it you know you've, I know it's a positive story but you have to relive the bad times as well I actually haven't thanks for asking me first of all to come in and talk to you but I haven't gone through that process of going into detail like that in a long time and I think it's the first time I have done it without tears. Yeah. So, it, so does it help you come to terms with it every time? Or I couldn't imagine it gets much easier. Um, well, I did, um, I'd say about three or four years ago, I wrote it down. And I have it away. But I haven't looked at it since I wrote it down. And I suppose other things have happened as well. You know, normal life stuff up and down. And... and uh, you have to move on. I mean, there's no point in, in going through something like this 13 years ago to be going, well, that's it now, that's my big job done now. And yeah. uh, The reason why you do this is that she can get on with her normal life and we can all get on with our normal lives. And it is very important to talk about organ donation. And there are still 700 people on the waiting list. So what it is. And as one of the doctors, I moved to, from Beaumont, uh, I go to Beaumont every year and get checked but I moved to Merlin Park recently and the doctor said something very kind that you need to realise that because when you have a living donor, you free up another kidney for the person who's next, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, and it's the chain reaction down the line. And that's a kind thing to say and it's a good way to look at it for them as well, you know. So, um, yeah, just, I like, I enjoy talking about it, but it's... Yeah. A little bit exhausting emotionally, I suppose. But imagine so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, thank you very much again. As I said, I am just delighted that I have people on with like, real stories that can send a message, that can spread a message that it might help one person. And imagine, like, I say on the podcast, oh, it could help one person, and it could be about the leaving cert, but, like, these are massive things, like kidney, organ donation, it's just... Yeah. So massive and so important. So I'm absolutely delighted to come in and talk to me. And thank you so much. Thanks, Stephen. Super. Thank you, Bernie.